0: Hello and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program covering a wide variety of topics of interest to people with vision loss. I'm Nancy Goodman-Torpe. And I'm Pete Torpe.
1: I have things broken down like hardware, software, but also broken down different stages of life. So being a student, being a researcher, being a teacher, it's, it's massive. Like classroom processes for me exam go to a conference how do I prep for a conference how do I operate the conference so I get the most out of it to you know
2: how do I teach and today's guest has a list of resources that we'll hear more about later for being a successful professional and this is a great list for others to use in giving them some ideas
0: We'll speak with Mona Minkara, Assistant Professor of Bioengineering at Northeastern University, about this extensive set of tools that she has collected. But first for our tip of the week. This week's tip comes from Mona Minkara.
1: Always collect tools. Always think of how can you expand your toolbox. You never know when it comes in handy.
0: And that goes for scientists and non-scientists alike.
1: That's for everybody, everybody in life.
0: Yeah. Support for Eyes on Success is provided by Guide Dogs for the Blind, working to help individuals who are blind or visually impaired move through the world safely through partnerships with trained guide dogs. More information is at guidedogs.com. And by NaviLens, a four color QR code designed to be located and read from up to 60 feet away without the need to focus on it. Now, using augmented reality, NaviLens 360 Vision locates the NaviLens codes in a 3D space available for iPhone and soon for Android. More at NaviLens.com. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success.
1: Success. 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 Success.
0: Let's start by meeting Mona.
1: My name is Mona Mankara. I am a professor of bioengineering at Northeastern University. And I, you know, I've been blind since I was seven. I got my doctorate in computational chemistry from the University of Florida, and I did a postdoc at the University of Minnesota under J. Elia Seatman. And now I actually model the molecules found at the air water interface in the lungs. That's called the pulmonary surfactant, and it has a huge significance for COVID. So that's that's what I do. How long have you been at Northeastern? A year and three fourths now. I mean, I'm coming about uh, around two years at the end of the summer.
0: Oh, congratulations.
1: Thank you, a year of that has been in the pandemic. So it's been weird.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but hey, at least your research relates to the pandemic, and hopefully if the disease lasts long enough, you'll be able to help contribute to a cure.
1: Yeah, I hope
0: so.
2: So you mentioned that you were blind, but blind can cover a whole span of what people can see or not see. What is the state of your vision exactly?
1: So I have only light perception in my right eye, and Probably not less than 1% peripheral vision in my left eye. (laughs) Very little.
2: So not a whole lot of functional vision.
1: No, no. Yeah, I I cannot see to read. You know, I, I use my cane. So, yeah.
0: But presumably over the years, since you said you went blind at age seven, you've used a progression of different varieties of tools, and that's how you've learned about all of these different technologies that can help people at different phases of their vision
1: loss? I mean, yes, that's very true. I mean, like when I was seven, I was first diagnosed and and it degenerated very quickly in the beginning. I definitely collected tools along the way.
0: (laughs) Eyes on Success is made possible in part by our corporate partners. Underwriting pairs the impact of targeted marketing with the integrity of community goodwill.
2: Learn more by sending an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net.
0: This week's focus topic is the extensive set of tools that Mona has collected and the website she developed that she uses to share these tools with other people who might benefit from them. Today, Mona, we wanted to talk about primarily the website you put together
2: about tools that could help blind people become and be a scientist. But before that, I thought maybe we'd talk about maybe some of the challenges that you had to face going through school and getting your education and training. What kind of assistive equipment did you use going through school?
1: I did not know Braille as a kid. I I did not learn it growing up. I wish I did, but I didn't. Braille is something I've picked up two years ago. I've been practicing it. Um, Mostly screen readers, you know, back in the day, there wasn't even like iPhones. I mean, now I use iPhone a lot. I have have, like just a lot of different tools, anything from using pipe cleaners and Play-Doh to help shape a structure so I can feel it to now we're 3D printing some things. Like I've just, every possible tool that I can think of, I've tried to use. So did you just
0: say that you learned Braille as an adult well into your professional
1: career? Yes, yes. I'm still learning it. I can't say I'm like fully learned in it. I'm still learning it. I, I think it's amazing. My philosophy, really, my philosophy in life is collect tools. Why not? You know, like you just never know when a tool will become useful. So I have a slew of tools
2: Well, you know, you talk about the slew of tools, and I have much the same philosophy. And that's what impressed me about your website. It wasn't like you relied just on one tool or something special that everybody's heard about, but it seems like you're very flexible in terms of having a large toolbox, and then you pick out the right tool for the right job at the right time.
1: Yes, that is exactly how I operate, because I think that's going to be the most efficient for me. And so, you know, if you go to my webpage, Obviously, you have my website, and then you go into the blind science tools, you see that it's also broken down into hardware, software, but also I clumped tools that I use depending on instances. So what do I do as a teacher? What do I do as a student? What do I do as somebody traveling to a conference, doing an exam, attending a class? Like, those are all different. Also, tools are not just actual objects, but they're also methodologies for different instances that you might come across. And so that's something I also outlined. How do I hire a good access assistant? That's very important. I, I streamlined that process. So that has been amazing for me.
0: What do you have your access assistant do?
1: In a very like concise manner. They are my visual translators is how I would say it. Right. They, they connect me to the visual world, you know, just the visual aspects of my job. And so that can also span a a variety of things it could be like oh like how does this protein look like and then them building a pipe cleaner model of the protein to oh like can you describe this figure or read this paragraph because it's in a pdf that's not accessible you know like it's just is a variety of tasks
2: well i think often uh cited assistant can kind of fill in the details. You can get a lot of it yourself. I mean, when I was a scientist, I read lots of papers and I could get 90, 95% of the content, but there was always something like a figure or something that really you had to look at to understand. And it helped having all my colleagues around me that were very friendly and always willing to help to just fill in those gaps.
1: Yeah, there's that. And there's also like, like, you know, Personally, I believe in efficiency to be able to keep up, you know, like, uh, it might be just more efficient for somebody to, I don't know, record, a, you know, 10 abstracts for me, which might be more efficient for me to hear versus, you know, sifting through and seeing if the PDF was a readable PDF, whatever, like, you know, from the publication, it could be anywhere from tasks like that to, like I said, uh, there's so many aspects of my job that are just not designed for a blind person in mind. I'd say the majority, yes, the the majority of my job. But I have the brains, and that's that's kind of what I love doing. I am still the scientist.
2: Right. Well, that's interesting. And I consider myself fortunate in that regard also because, first of all, I'm intelligent enough to understand how to use some of these tools. But also the geek inside of me just enjoys doing that and figuring out these puzzles and learning a new tool. You know, you realize after a while that there isn't one tool that solves all problems.
1: Yeah, and then there are also new tools as you, as you move on and explore even more. You know, like right now, as a professor, I'm able to access 3D printing more. And so that's been a tool that, we're like, that I'm exploring. Um, you know, now that I've learned Braille, I can use a Braille note taker. Those are all newer tools that I didn't use when I was younger.
2: Yeah, and as a scientist, we're always used to learning anyway because you always have to keep up with new aspects of the field. So it's the same with learning new technologies and new software and new ways of doing things.
1: Exactly, yeah.
2: I guess we're lucky we're scientists.
1: (laughs) I think so. I also think being a scientist means you become, like, you know how to problem solve. That's a big part of it. Mm -hmm. I mean, just being blind in general, like, there's so many just just day-to-day things. You learn how to problem solve even more efficiently.
2: You know, it's interesting. You talked about being a scientist and always having to learn And that's one of the good skills that you need being blind, just learning new tools and skills. And I was thinking just even solving these equations, memorizing them, I used to keep a lot in my head also. And sometimes it makes the derivations a little bit easier in terms of you could see the whole problem in your head without having to scroll through tons of paper.
1: Yeah, you understand the big picture story.
2: Yeah, the way I used to listen to lectures in graduate school, at first, I used to borrow people's notes, but I found that they were so involved in taking notes, and the professors weren't always 100% right on the blackboard, that often the notes were wrong, and then people would look at them afterwards, and they couldn't understand what they were about. So the way I went through graduate school, I would just listen to what the professors had to say. You know, what didn't care so much about the details, trying to get the global picture. And then I'd go back and read the book and papers that referenced what they were talking about to pick up the details. But by then, I knew what to look for in the books.
1: So how were you able to read the books? I'm just curious.
2: So I was fortunate in graduate school, although I went blind the summer before graduate school, and that's when I relearned my braille skills that I hadn't used in years and years. And I learned to use a cane. By the f- halfway through the first semester of graduate school, I regained enough of my vision that I could use a CCTV with very large print, white on black. And, you know, it still wasn't easy. And, you know, you had to struggle and read parts of an equation at a time, read the book slowly. But science, you have to read slowly anyway. So it wasn't so bad.
1: Because actually listening to math is a very interesting problem in and of itself. Like you have to be very Precise and it can be very imprecise sometimes.
2: Yes, yes. So by the time I got to Xerox and my eyesight, you know, doesn't always get better later in life. It eventually diminished, so I couldn't see anything. Um, what I used to do then was I relied more on Braille and using programs like Maple and Mathematica to actually visualize the equations in Braille and have these computer algebra systems do some of the manipulations for me
1: nice yeah
2: so let's talk a little bit specifically so people have a concrete idea of how you go through your working day when you're computing for example you use a screen reader or do you use braille or a combination
1: okay so two things number one as a professor i actually do very little of the actual nitty-gritty work which is my dream position, right? My students are the ones running simulations. But when I was a postdoc, I used a screen reader. Um, Sometimes like things were a little bit more complex and so I would need to use an access assistant. But if you wanna hear about, I don't know, do you wanna hear about like my day to day? Like I just, what I do?
0: Well, you know, yes, because we've spoken to other people who have faculty positions and, you know, they've gotten pushback from the hiring university about how are you gonna do that? But I think hearing you go through how you do your day as a presumably successful professor will help other people understand that, you know, pushback aside, this is in fact doable.
1: It is in fact doable. I did negotiate for access assistance like as part of my offer. You know, I am a tenure track professor, which is great because it also comes with like a startup. Like I'm running a research program, too. And so I'll give you a typical week um, during the semester that just passed. And usually what I do is like this past semester, Mondays and Wednesdays were my teaching days, So I go in on Mondays and Wednesdays. I sit down. I prep for my class. I don't read Braille efficiently and I teach very heavily mathematical class. And so I have to memorize things. So I do that. I make sure everything is like clean and cleared and ready to go. And I teach class. So and I run office hours. So Mondays and Wednesdays are like my teaching days, Tuesdays, And Thursdays are like my research slash training days. I always think it's important for me to be learning something new, and you know to continue the research. And that's when we have like research group meetings that I run. I have a postdoc, two graduate students, and like seven undergrads and a high school student in my group. And so I touch base. I try to keep up with like the ideas every day. I go through one abstract of a paper, and you know trying to keep up with the literature, and that's kind of my Tuesdays and Thursdays. I really try to um, meet with all my students one-on-one. And then finally on Fridays is what I call my outreach days. It's really important for me to still talk to students and people who reach out to me who are interested in pursuing science as blind individuals. That's something that I wish I had when I was younger. And so I keep Fridays for that kind of thing, for anything outreach related or service or whatever it is. That's kind of my work week during the semester. It's going to be a lot more research this summer, which I'm really excited about.
0: We both have PhDs in physics. And so along the way, we took a number of chemistry classes, lots of physics, lots of math, lots of math in the physics classes. And this was quite a while ago. So the professor stood at the front of the room with a piece of chalk that wouldn't work so well for you. How do you... Presume you're putting equations on the board or figurative board.
1: The way I teach is I have a system in place in which I've actually had someone like literally type up all of my lectures. And every class that I teach, I have a fully written out lecture that I've memorized and it has equations and derivations. And I actually memorize the derivation steps very you know, precisely, sometimes obviously I get it wrong. But then what I do is I provide for the students blanked out version of the notes and I lecture, I, I just go through it. I'm a very interactive professor. I really believe in the importance of interacting. And so I asked, you know, students to go to the board. This was pre-COVID, during COVID it was like, you know, verbally participating, reading what's on the screen, um, breakout groups, like doing problems. Very interactive, very, like, I engage my students. I don't write anything on the board. I do have somebody in the class who just scrolls the notes so it matches what I'm saying, and that's it.
0: Oh, so that works quite well. And then if any of the students need the notes or the lecture in some other format, you've already got it electronically, and they can use it in whatever format they need.
1: And it's video recorded right now. You know, that's something we've been doing over Zoom because of COVID. You know, I aim for accessibility. I I actually, unless you need them, like you have some kind of accommodation request, I try not to give the full notes because I want my students to actually interact during class and write down the notes. And that's worked spectacularly. And students have really thanked me for the kind of the system that I set up.
2: So what kind of reaction do you get from the students when you ask them to read equations and interact that must actually make the class a little bit more friendly?
1: I mean I think so. It <laughs> seemed to like me. Uh I definitely what I did on the first semester that I taught the class at the end of the semester I actually did an anonymous survey. And so I like asked a few questions and I got some really interesting answers like you know I had students that told me that their parents were mad, I had students <laughs> to find out that I'm blind. Wow. I had students that told me yeah that they were excited to take my class cuz i was blind. I had students that were like, I'm apprehensive, but I'm glad I did. I had students that were like, oh, it was a cohort of us who decided to stick together and take this class together, you know? Um, it was really interesting to hear all the different reactions, but almost all of them liked the interactive piece. Obviously, there's some people who are shy that don't like it very much, but they say that they learned very much. One person said that they thought now that, you know, math is not a a visual thing and that my engineering is not visual.
2: <laughs> Boy, that's interesting. You certainly see the whole spectrum of types of feedback from people.
1: Yeah. I mean, by the end of it, most of the students did enjoy being in my class. I'm glad I didn't hear their opinions on day one, you know, they were assessing me and I was trying to teach.
2: And how about your colleagues? What kind of support and feedback do you get from your colleagues?
1: My department here is really, really nice. Everybody in this department is really nice. I think on a larger scale, though, like people are intrigued. I'll put it that way. You know, sometimes I get the sense of being observed, you know.
2: (laughs) You know, it's funny. When I was at Xerox, I worked with all these people who knew about my work output, but they're socialized not to ask. And then on Bring Your Child to Work Day, some of them would come into my office and see my setup with the screen reader and the Braille display, and they'd say, oh, is that how you've been doing your work? But it's kind of funny that no one ever knew, but no one was going to ask either.
0: Well, and then there was this other category of people who were really curious and wanted to know, but wouldn't ask Pete any of the questions. And we worked most of the time in the same building once in a while we were in different buildings and and they would corner me in the hall and say, well, how does Pete do such and such? Because you wouldn't want to actually ask the blind person how he does it.
1: Yeah. It's part of the barrier that we face. Um, Like it's almost like people don't know how to interact with people with disabilities, but then it makes us distant from them. You know, like we are the other. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But we're not. We're just like you. We just happen to have eyes that don't work. <laughs> like, I don't know. Yes. So back to your
0: part of your website where you have this comprehensive list of tools. You obviously can't talk about each of them, but could you just kind of give an overview of what kinds of tools you have listed there? And then if people are interested, they can dig into it.
1: Yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah, so like I've said before, like basically I have things broken down like hardware, software, but also broken down different elements of my stages of life. So being a student, being a researcher, being a teacher, and so some of the things I talk about like under hardware would be like my brain note taker, my iPhone, my iPad. Those are things I use a lot and very accessible to me. But and then I move on to you know software, which could be JAWS or Voiceover on the Mac. I will even Emacs on. Linux operating system, but you know, like those are all different tools. Something that I haven't put up there that I want to put up there are like different apps. And one of them is like WhatsApp. I use WhatsApp a lot, like just to do work, like to communicate. From that to using the graffiti is something I started to use a few months ago. It is a very expensive piece of technology in which you connect it to a computer and it's a huge, almost tablet of pins that go up and down based on the images you give it. So let's say you have an image of a smiley face on the computer, then you'll feel the smiley face on this tablet.
2: That could be useful in looking at chemical bonds.
1: Yes. I have, I don't even know, it's it's massive. Like classroom processes for me, exam, go to a conference. How do I prep for a conference? How do I operate the conference? I get the most out of it to, you know, how do I teach? Which we talked about like now the process of how I teach. So it's a combination of like actual items, but also processes.
0: Right. And so for somebody who wants to make use of this website that you've put together, if they have a task they want to do, it should be pretty straightforward for them to get into the section that will describe relevant tools.
1: Yes. I even have a section on how I chose the best graduate school, how I get a job, you know, like it just it outlines my processes. And I share that this is just what I've done. It doesn't mean it's going to work for you, but hopefully these are ideas.
2: Well, that could be very useful to people considering such a career.
1: I hope so. That's the goal. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, success.
0: Now for this week's final item, how to learn more about Mona's work and how to contact her directly.
2: Well, we talked about your website with the tools for blind scientists. Can you tell us what the website is?
1: Yes. So go to monamincar.com. It's And then click on Blind Scientists, and there's the Blind Scientist Tools page. There's a page about fellow blind scientists. And also what I consider to be like my blind scientist philosophy.
0: Can you spell Mona Minkara?
1: Yes, it's M-O-N-A-M-I-N-K-A-R-A. So monaminkara.com.
0: Mona mentioned that on her website, one of the pages is a list of other blind scientists who've had successful careers. And one of those is Pete. If you want to learn more about Pete. And if people had specific questions for you about some of this,
2: would they be able to contact you somehow?
1: Yes. So they can contact me by going to the website or emailing me at my Northeastern email, which is just m.minkara at northeastern.edu or just my Gmail, which is mona.minkara at Gmail or there's just so many ways to contact me. You know, I have social media. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Yes. I have a, a, like, I'm all over the internet. Just Google my name or Google Blind Chemist. I should come up.
2: And of course, we'll have all of those links in the show notes for people didn't catch it in the audio.
1: Yes. Woo-hoo. Definitely look me up if you have any questions. How would people learn more about
0: your research?
1: If they want to check out my research, they can go to minkaracombinelab.com, which is M-I-N-K-A-R-A, combined for C-O-M-B-I-N-E, lab.com. And that's where they can learn about the different research that I do. Oh, oh one more thing. I'm also always looking for good access assistance. We have called ourselves Mink Inc. for Minkara Incorporated. There's a page about us um, on also monominkara.com if you want to check out different communities or programs that I do, I also run different projects, like I have a blind STEM curriculum that's low cost that I've designed that I have on the website, we also are 3D printing textured molecular modeling kits, so blind and sighted, it really can be for anyone, Um, for anybody who wants to just like build a molecule, can do it, we're actually trying to Give them to blind people, but, you know, sell them for anybody who wants to support the cause, so to speak. And I just have a lot of projects. I have Plain strings and Canes, which is another project. <laughs> My projects are endless. I can tell you more about Plain strings and Canes if you'd like. Go ahead. So Planes, strings and Canes is a YouTube travel series that I created after winning um, the Holman Prize put out by the Lighthouse for the Blind. Of San Francisco, um, where I travel to five different cities using tra- public transportation independently. So I travel on my own, it's caught on camera, and it's like life unfolds and very interesting things occur.
0: <laughs> and I have watched some of these videos and they're very engaging.
1: Oh, that's so nice. I didn't realize you watched them. That's awesome.
0: And as our regular listeners
2: know, you can find all of that contact information for each and every show. In the show notes for that episode at our website, www.eyesonsuccess.net.
0: That's it for show number 2128. Next week on Eyes on Success, we will be talking about the first major road trip we've taken since the pandemic. Video calls with our three- and five-year-old grandsons just didn't cut it. So, we decided to take a trip to visit them, and we weren't quite ready to fly yet. So, we drove. And you can hear about our experiences visiting our family and driving through endless cornfields in Nebraska and Iowa and some of the unusual sights we saw along the way.
2: And that turned out to be a lot of fun. So, we hope you'll join us
0: next week for that episode.